Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Everybody and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Bonjour. And as always, our producer Colin Moore. Hello. So this week we are not talking about Cuba for the first time in like, what, three months? Pretty much. <laughs> Instead, uh, you know, it's, it's the Thanksgiving month. Uh, we're going to do another I'm Really Glad You Did. Um, Technically it's Halloween when we're recording this, but we're not really. Yeah, but... Oh my place. God! You've ruined my immersion. <laughs> yeah. Also, we don't we don't know what happened on election night, so you know that's that's why we're so cheerful. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh. Wasn't that a fun last night? Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I really enjoyed hanging out with the guys and listening to Wolf Blitzer tell me that it's too close to call. Yep. <laughs> Coolio. All right. I guess we'll just get into it. Cayman, you want to start? Uh, yeah, so we're doing a, I'm really glad you did. Uh, I figure after all the uh, Cuba series, we, we deserved a little bit of a uplifting episode. So, so me and Michael coincidentally both chose a topic that has something to do with World War II technology. Completely organically. <laughs> yeah, completely organically. So without further ado, this story starts as many great stories do with a death ray. These are my favorite stories. Yeah, in 1935 Europe, uh, the world was kind of ramping up for World War II, and whoever was on the cutting edge of technology had the advantage. Rumors had been coming out of Germany that the Nazis had developed a death ray using radio waves. In fact, a German newspaper had published a picture of the supposed death ray, which was a large radio dish. Immediately, the British Air Ministry decided that if the Nazis had one, then they wanted a death ray too. We cannot allow a death ray (laughs) gap. (laughs) So to that end, they put out a thousand dollar reward for anyone that could develop a device to zap a sheep from a hundred paces away. Did you say pesos? No, a hundred paces away. A hundred paces, which I assume is like... Okay, sorry. I don't know what that actual distance is. But but still, I would say... Okay, so they're saying only a thousand pounds... To build a death ray. Uh, this is a thousand pounds. This is a thousand pounds of 1935 money. Still, like, I feel like a death ray is uh, worth more than that. thousand pounds is a lot of pounds. I guess, but like, I don't even think that would buy a house at the time, right? Well, it doesn't really matter because no one ever came to collect. Um... So, I guess, you know, the reward maybe wasn't big enough for someone to develop the technology. I feel like if you could make a death ray, though, you wouldn't have to be like, oh, yeah, I'll take a reward for a thousand dollars. If you can build a death ray, you get a monocle and you go, if you don't give me one billion dollars, I'll blow up the White House with my (laughs) death ray. You've just become a Batman supervillain the moment you build a death ray. Exactly. Don't hand it over to the British. Batman supervillains <laughs> will come up later in my story. Oh, that's fun. So, like I said, no one ever came to collect on the reward, 
probably because it's insanely cruel to zap a sheep and i i can't believe no one neither of you guys had a problem with that it was all the like oh they're not paying enough but cayman i i've got horrible news for you uh that is doesn't even hold a candle to the animal cruelty in the food industry (laughs) no it doesn't but you think you could zap a sheep oh absolutely I mean, if I had a death ray, yeah, I could probably do it. It depends on how quick the death ray works. I would probably do it for free if I if they were like, hey, here's a death ray. You want to go obliterate a sheep? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I do. I'd probably do that. Yeah, that's that's kind of fucked up. Um, <laughs> more more than likely, the reason that no one ever collected on this reward is because it's kind of just some absurd sci fi stuff like death rays aren't really a real thing even in by today's technology oh is that why is that why no one collected because it's not real yeah 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 so uh (laughs) so after the prize went unclaimed for a bit the british air ministry decided to take the problem to perhaps the world's leading expert in radio waves at the time robert watson watt Now, Watt was the director of the radio research station in Britain, and in his career, he had developed radio methods of tracking lightning strikes and method of quickly and accurately locating enemy radio signals. Both of those things would become monumentally important to the war effort. Uh, Watt and his colleague Skip Wilkins pondered the notion, and Watt proposed a math problem. If you had eight pints of water, one kilometer above the ground, and the water was 98 degrees Fahrenheit, and you wanted to heat it to 105 degrees Fahrenheit, how much radio frequency power would you require from a distance of 5 kilometers? I'm not going to lie, this is giving me horrible flashbacks to, like, calculus. Now, well, I, I'm saying you don't need to do the math here, but does anyone want to give a give a pick, give a gander on why he used specifically those uh, measurements? Was he British? No, I'm saying... <laughs> He was British, yes. So he wanted he wanted to make tea from far away. <laughs> no, uh, so the whole the whole thing is eight pints of water, supposed to represent kind of like the water that would be in a human body, um, and then one kilometer above the ground was where planes flew. Ninety eight degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature of a human being, and then if you heat it to one hundred and five, then they're going to pass out or die. Yeah. But pass out in a plane, you're gonna crash anyways. Cayman, be honest with me. Is are, does this? Are we about to talk about the invention of five G? Is this kind of your way of telling us <laughs> no. that five G causes coronavirus? No, no, because they they did the math on this and like literally, you know, these were smart guys. All they needed was a pad and, or a pencil and a paper, and they immediately decided that there like literally wasn't enough power in Europe to do it. Like, to do just that one thing. And even if there had been, like, it's not, it's completely non-practical. Because just use guns or something. You know, death ray's a bit excessive. But sometimes it's about the way you do something, not really the end <laughs> result, you know? <laughs> now you're thinking like a supervillain. <laughs> so, it's all about presentation. <laughs> the radio-powered death ray, uh, after they, you know, brought this up, uh, the military decided it was likely a hoax and just dropped it. Now, what Robert Watson Watt did realize, along with his colleague Skip Wilkins, was that the British government was more than desperate to buy some new war tech. So in February of 1935, after a little think tank with Wilkins, Watt sent a report covertly to the Air Ministry titled The Detection of Aircraft by Radio Methods, 
which laid out the plans for what would one day be known as radar. Now, Michael, you might be thinking, what is radar? How does it work? I think that every day. <laughs> so actually, radar is super simple. So think about yelling into the Grand Canyon or any sort of canyon, you know, mm-hmm. anywhere that you're going to hear an echo. When you yell, the sound bounces off of the opposite wall and bounces back to you, and then you hear it. Mm-hmm. Radar is essentially the same thing, but you use radio waves. So instead of waiting to hear your own voice like a weirdo narcissist... God, can you imagine having a whole hobby where you just have to listen to your own voice all the time? <laughs> I have a hobby where I have to listen to my my two friends' voices for hours and that hours. That sounds even worse. And hours. I feel like you like it. <laughs> I, I mean i mean i like doing this but when i'm done editing a podcast i don't want to hear you guys <laughs> i don't want to talk like to you guys at least anymore. a day <laughs> so so yeah it, like i said it's essentially like yelling and waiting to hear an echo right and really this was kind of discovered accidentally a lot uh because you can just with our own radio at your own house for instance uh, just go in your backyard and go near a tree, listening to the radio and walk around it. Eventually, there's going to be some interference. Well, that is, you know, something blocking those signals from getting to you. So you can do that in the reverse. Um, now, that really, like I said, that isn't very oversimplified. That's exactly what it is. Uh, so before you go thinking, why had no one ever thought of that before? The answer is they had. Uh, pretty much since the invention of the radio, really. Uh, British physicist James Clark Maxwell in 1864 theorized the laws of radio wave reflection, and the theory was proven all the way back in 1886 in a demonstration by German physicist Heinrich Hertz. He became very popular for having Hertz named after him. Ah, oh, the car company. Oh, like the... <laughs> I beat you to it! Car rental company. <laughs> I don't like you guys. No, not the... Ah! so there are actually working models of radar ish technology um the problem is before this the developed systems could only give direction they couldn't give a range so they couldn't tell you how far away something is they could just say there's definitely something over there therefore when the air ministry ordered a test of watt's system he used a special method of pulsed transmission which he had used in his time tracking lightning strikes the test was a resounding success, and by 1939, England had established a chain of radar stations along its south and east coast to prevent aggressors in the air and or sea. Uh, this technology won them the Battle of Britain, allowed the American forces to predict the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and overall gave the Allied powers a much-needed air advantage against the Luftwaffe. Soon the British had decided, hey, the ability to see enemy aircraft super far away is so handy, why don't we just put it on planes? Um, see, at the time, the radar towers only had a 100-kilometer range. Now, 100 kilometers is a lot, but the thing is, if planes are pushing out, it might help them to be able to see more accurately where things are in position to the plane rather than some tower that they're getting through the radio. And yeah, so it was it was a good idea. The problem is, to get powerful enough radio waves to have any sort of distance on radar... Uh, the system had to be large and it required hella energy. So the early prototypes sucked. They would catch fire, they were too bulky, um, and they just entirely weren't practical. That was until 1940 when John Randall and Harry Boot invented the cavity magnetron. I'm sorry, there's a man named Harry Boot? <laughs> yes. 
That's there's no there's I don't even need to make a joke. That's it. There's a man named Harry Boot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the cavity magnetron, aside from sounding like a dentist for the Transformers, uh, was a high power. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think that's the hardest I've ever laughed on this show. Maybe <laughs> that was a good joke, though. So it was a it was a high powered vacuum tube that generated much more energetic and shorter wavelengths than radio. In fact, these wavelengths were so small that you could even call them micro, or as you have it in your notes, Merco. <laughs> <laughs> Stop looking at my notes, damn it. <laughs> you could even call them Merco. <laughs> so uh, the cavity magnetron made the radar both more powerful and more compact, allowing their use by aircraft. Production of these was offered to the Americans in return for aid in the war, which the Americans happily obliged. Um, so the company that produced the majority of cavity magnetrons was a little company by the name of Raytheon. Now, if you don't know Raytheon, they are today one of the largest aerospace and defense contractors in the world. Uh, by the end of World War II, they had produced 80% of all magnetrons. So, at the end of the war, Raytheon still had been producing these magnetrons, which they now had no demand for. The thing is, you can't really exactly pinpoint when the war is going to end, when the demand for your military tech is going to end. Uh, so, enter... Percy Spencer. Now, Percy Spencer, I'm going to do a little bit of background on this guy because I feel like it's actually important with this one character. Uh, Percy Spencer stopped his formal education at age seven to work in a spool mill to support his family. Early 1900s were awesome. Seven-year-olds labor. Um, nice. But <laughs> he was very smart um, despite dropping out of school. So when electricity came to his hometown, and specifically his town's paper mill, Spencer taught himself everything he could about electricity, and by age 16 was hired to be one of three electricians to install electrical systems in his town. And this is all despite never having any formal training. At age 18, Spencer enlisted in the military, uh, more specifically the Navy, where he taught himself trigonometry, calculus, chemistry, physics, and metallurgy. Most importantly of all, he learned a lot about radio technology. By 1939, Spencer had become one of the leading experts in radar tube design, despite having, once again, no formal training outside of the military. Of course, this earned Spencer a job at Raytheon, where he was instrumental in their magnetron production. He actually was the one that took the company's production of magnetrons from 17 per day to 2,600 per day. Jeez. Uh, yeah, he was a very important guy. Uh, very smart that's yeah i mean that's like that's insanely more <laughs> like yeah <laughs> yeah so one day while testing magnetron spencer noticed that the candy bar in his pocket had melted this prompted spencer to play around with the magnetron using it to cook popcorn and eggs and then go on to develop a completely enclosed system for cooking food hold on so they were just like he had a candy bar in his pocket yeah uh-huh and it and it microwaved his pocket. Right. So he's just out here in radiation, like just chilling. Well, yeah, no, that's exactly the thing. He, that's what, after he cooked the popcorn and he cooked the eggs, he was like, you know what? This thing's probably good for food. 
but I'm gonna put it in a box. <laughs> and then he put it in a box to, you know, stop all the cancer from getting everyone. Which means he was aware that these things were dangerous, but he was just like, nah, let's just shoot them at each other. Well, he put it in a box. I mean, I mean, he was he was he was testing with it. I'm sure if they weren't like testing all these, like he was playing around with the magnetron, happened to notice that it melted the candy bar. And then he cooked a few other things. And then he said, I should put this in a box. And he did. He did put it in a secure box to make it safe. Also, I feel like candy bars just melt in people's pockets. When have you ever put a candy bar in your pocket and it not melt? Well, I imagine it was like a lab coat. Still. Also, labs, if he's doing research, I feel like labs are kind of cold. Hence why you need a lab coat, right? Is that why they wear lab is, coats? Is that what it's for? To keep you <laughs> yeah, warm? because labs, labs are cold. Um, yeah, I don't know. And that's the thing. That's the reason that I had to tell this guy's background is because I was like, uh, this guy was not some simpleton that just had a candy bar melt in his pocket. Right. In 1945, when the war ended and Raytheon still had a shitload of magnetrons on its hands, Spencer had the solution. On October 8th, 1945, Raytheon filed the patent for the world's first ever microwave cooking oven, for which Spencer received the customary $2 gratuity from Raytheon. And that's all that he ever got from the microwave. That's nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. Also, it's weird that an arms manufacturer made the first microwave. Well, they that's the thing. They had a bunch of magnetrons left over and they had nothing to do with them because the war was over. I guess they're like, Tur- turn them into ovens. The, the demand for radar was, like, gone instantly. Yeah. Especially, like, miniaturized radar. Yeah. So, the first production model was made in 1947. It was six foot tall, weighed 750 pounds, and it cost around $5,000 USD. Uh, that's nearly $60,000 in today's money. So, it was made for, like, a industrial kitchen to make Hot Pockets? Kind of, uh, although at first I think it was novelty, but it definitely became like a commercial thing before it was in everyone's house. Mm -hmm. Um, It would take another 20 years before the microwave would come out in a largely commercial capacity uh, for households, Um, but it's left a hell of a legacy. As of 1997, which was over 20 years ago, 90% of American households owned a microwave oven. Over 80% of Americans use their microwaves daily. Which is insane. So thanks to Percy Spencer's invention, over 1 billion magnetrons are in use every single day. Just wild. That's crazy. What was the year? Hold on. What, what year? Did you, as of when? That was in 1997. Okay. I feel like everyone has a microwave. And that's the thing, yeah, yeah. It would be weird for 1 in 10 to not have it's a gotta microwave. It's got to be 99% like yeah. at this point, right? I know I know some elderly people that don't have microwaves because they just make everything in the oven. I mean, I don't use mine every day. Like, I use mine... Like, don't get me wrong. An oven is better in every way. If you have the I time... Mean, I would, I'd probably use mine every day. I don't use yeah, mine every day. I use mine day. probably every other day at least. I probably use yeah. mine once or twice a week. Well, I get the steam bags of vegetables. The steam bag vegetables are really what I use, the edamame. You can use it to make vegetables. You can heat up your tea. That was my other thing is until I got a kettle, I got a kettle recently, yeah. which I'm really excited about, but I, I heated up water. I don't drink yeah. yeah, hot drinks very often. So I'm missing out. You'd love a hot toddy. It's right up your alley. But yeah, so um, that's my entire thing. Microwaves. Uh, death Ray to microwave. 
And this is something that I've also been thinking That's about. That's a redemption arc. It went it, from death ray to microwave. Well, it is a redemption arc, but let's think about <laughs> let's think about the entire story. Let's take it okay. in, let's process it. All right, you process okay. it. So I'm ready. Robert Watson Watt said that there couldn't be a death ray because it wasn't powerful enough, right? Mm-hmm. It would take too much power. And they invent or not they, but other people invent the cavity magnetron, which mm-hmm. uses less power and is more powerful. So could I take apart my microwave, hypothetically, and make a death ray out of it? No. Can I, me, can I at least make like a mild cancer ray? I'm not sure that a thousand watts are going to get you there. Well, I, obviously I'd have to boost it up. That's the thing is like, you might not be able to kill somebody immediately, but like you could be like, hey... You're probably going to have I'd complications go- <laughs> in about 20 years. <laughs> Cancer, right? Very nice. <laughs> also, do you know how Watson Watt died? Uh, if it's not cancer, I'm going to be surprised. I don't know how he died. I want to talk a little bit more about Watson Watt because he's actually pretty interesting. So he was knighted by George VI in 1942 and received the U.S. Medal for Merit in 1946. Ten years after his knighthood, Watson Watt was awarded 50,000 pounds from the British government. So a lot more than that $1,000 reward they were originally offering. And then he moved to Canada and later he lived in the U.S. But in 1956, Watson Watt got a speeding ticket given to him by a policeman using a radar gun. Supposedly, in talking to the policeman, Watt said, Had I known what you were going to do with it, I never would have invented it. Um... Nice. Which I think is funny. And apparently this yeah. was such an inspirational moment for Watt that he actually like wrote a poem about this. So if you'll allow me, we can cut this later if it's cringy. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm going to read a poet from Sir Watson Watt. Pity Sir Robert Watson Watt, strange target of this radar plot. And thus with others I can mention, the victim of his own invention. His magical all-seeing eye enabled cloud-bound planes to fly, but now by some ironic twist, it spots the speeding motorist and bites, no doubt, with legal wit, the hand that once created it. I thought that was actually a pretty dope poem. That was really good. But it was so, like, self-braggy. Like, he, first of all, puts it in third person, but then he's like, He invented radar. What do you mean self-braggy? His magical... If I ever say that I have a magical all-seeing eye, I need you to just put me in my place because... No. I'll slap you. Yes, please. It kind of is magical all-seeing. He kind of made it a magical all-seeing eye. Yeah. Think about the world before radar. You he, can, he was like, yeah, I can see something that's... 50 kilometers over there. And people are yeah. like, what do you mean you can see something that's 50 kilometers? He's like, it's a little blip on my screen. See, see it. It's magic. Everything's magic till you start like, to understand it. I like how we put all of this work into creating radar. And then America has to put all this work into circumventing radar later, later <laughs> in, in years. Yeah. Like it's yep. <laughs> there's actually a lot of neat stuff about that. Like there's multiple different ways to get around yeah. radar. Mm-hmm. We'll have to get it's it's a fun fun story. I'd recommend looking it up. There's so as you were telling your story, it's kind of nuts how much overlap there is in our stories. But really? um, I mean, we're completely different, but 
a lot like there's 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 through lines right and i think yeah. that'll become more clear as as we get into it um but okay so my topic is i'm going to be talking about hedy lamar Hedley. we will get into that also blazing saddles great yes <laughs> yes um so if you haven't seen Blazing Saddles, go watch it. There's a character named Headley Lamar, and they keep calling him Hedy Lamar, and he gets mad and goes, it's Headley Lamar. <laughs> um, but anyway, this is Hedy Lamar, the uh, actress. So the woman that came to be known as Hedy Lamar was actually born Hedwig Keisler to Jewish parents in Vienna in 1914. Uh, now, if you've ever taken a world history class um, or know anything about, you know, this time period, uh, you probably should be hearing some alarm bells right now uh, based on where she is, who her parents are, uh, and the year. But we'll get there. So Hetty grew up middle up, upper middle class. Um, her mother was a former concert pianist and really fostered her love for the arts, um, while her father was a banker and really fostered Hetty's curiosity and love of tinkering. Um, one of her main kind of pastimes was taking apart her toys and putting them back together. Um, and she would also attend the opera and see concert orchestras. Like her family was very interconnected with like the world of the arts. So like she kind of had this upbringing of both like science and art, which was like, you know, really good for a fostering mind. Right. And kind of a through line of this entire story is the curse of Hedy Lamar's beauty. And at the age of 12, she actually gets the first taste for what that can give her. So she joined a beauty pageant and won and got money and allegedly bought a fur coat with the money. So by age 16, Hetty realized that her true calling was in this new world of film. Um, so she actually forged a permission form from her mother to start working at 16 as a script girl for a local studio. And this really just shows the difference in Germany and, uh, you know, England and, and the U.S. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, this other, you know, Percy in the last story is working at seven years old in a factory. And she needs a permission slip at 16. Well, I, but that's the difference in, in the end. This is a, this is Austria, first of all. And second of all, it's a difference of in industry, right? Like, I mean, if she had gone to a factory, they'd probably be like, yeah, come on in. But like, this is like kind of the upper class, like arts, right? So, and also her parents are a known commodity, That's right? Fair. So like, yeah. they wouldn't want to do anything to like, I mean, not that they're like royalty, but you know, I mean, they're yeah, but they're, contributors they're, to no. the arts. Uh huh. Yeah, but I, I agree. There is definitely a, a difference here. Also, this is, I, I know you said this isn't Germany. This is Austria. It's going to be Germany in like 10 years. But not yet. And that's important. <laughs> okay. So I want okay. to make the distinction. Fine. So uh, taking this job as a script girl, she was able to get her first acting roles, starting out as kind of an extra. Then she got kind of bit parts here and there. And then at age 18, Hetty took the role that would set her life in motion. What does a script girl do? I, I don't know. I actually meant to Google that. You know what a script boy is? Well, no. it's like a script that boy, except a penis. for... It's, it's, yeah. What is a script girl? A girl. Like, is she writing boy. scripts? No, she was not writing script. I, I think if I had to imagine, she's someone that, like, stands off to the side, and when someone asks for their line, she gives them their line. I think. 
I, I will answer your question. So that is uh, obviously an old term. Uh-huh. Um, it is now known as a script supervisor. And according to Wikipedia, a script supervisor <laughs> is a member of a film crew who oversees the continuity of the motion picture, including wardrobe, props, set, dressing, hair, makeup, and the actions of the actors during a scene. So basically, it's it's to maintain continuity between shots. Okay. Okay, really gotcha. important. That makes sense. So, okay, at 18, age 18, she got the uh, role that would set her life in motion. Uh, she was cast as the lead actress in a film called Ecstasy. And this was a film about a young woman who is unhappy in her loveless marriage and decides to kind of go off and take her life into her own hands. By doing a bunch of ecstasy. Well, no, but <laughs> this, well, eh, this is Hollywood. Well, I guess not yet. Is ecstasy around at this point in time? Uh, I don't think so. I think ecstasy is a kind of recent drug. I'm not sure, though. Hmm. Um, now, keep in mind, keep in mind that kind of plot because... It kind of becomes a uh, kind of an autobiography for Hedy Lamar. That's kind of a good description for this point in her life. But the way I describe the movie makes it sound very like, I guess, uh, empowering. But the way it was produced was pretty scummy. Like, for instance, there were nude scenes where Hedy Lamar um, was like swimming in a river nude. And they, like, had the camera really far away, and the director was like, don't worry, we're so far away, nobody's going to be able to see anything. Like, you'll just kind of be a silhouette on the distance, and, like, it'll be implied. And then he got, like, a super-powered telephoto lens for his camera, and, like, you, it's, she's right there. You can see everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It, I'm going to go ahead and say not surprised. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Gr- it's disgusting, but everything I know about the industry at this time and... Oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. You might just want to save, save, save your uh, commentary. Um, he also had Hedy Lamar lay on a bed, and he would like poke her with needles and stuff to try to get certain reactions from her. And then he intercut that with like shots of a dude to like simulate a sex scene that she didn't agree to. Yeah. Did she agree to being poked with the needles? Uh, I mean, again, it's your first leading role. <sighs> What rationale do you have when you're like, I'm a, hey, lay down, I'm going to poke you with needles? Well, apparently she wasn't <laughs> giving to him that he was like, you're not giving me what I need. He's like, I'm going to poke you with a needle. And she was like, I guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, that's awful. It's awful. So so then so then the movie comes out and like she she attends the, the premiere and she sees the movie she was in and she was like, oh, no. And she like allegedly was just screaming at the director like during the premiere of the movie. <laughs> um, now, this film uh, was actually a very big hit. Uh, it was kind of on the cusp of being pornographic, but it wasn't because it was art. It was it was high art. And you could be like. You just don't get it, man. Yeah, there's naked ladies in it having sex. It's the 1930s, but it's art, bro. It's art, I promise. The film was denounced by both the Pope and Hitler. What an unlikely or likely duo. Yeah, depending on how you look at it. Uh, The Pope's rejection was, you know, based on the sexual nature of the film, and it basically caused it to not see release in any of Italy. What? I'm, I might be stereotyping Italy, but I don't imagine Italy being the first to, like... I mean, I guess the Pope does, well, in a roundabout way, live in Italy. 
I just don't see Italy being like, nah, you can't show that here. That's pornographic. I feel like Italy's like, I don't care. I'm going to eat some spaghetti. So Hitler's objection to the film was uh, more related to the fact that it portrayed a Jewish woman as an empowered human being, you know? <laughs> right. God, that guy was a dick. But, okay, Cayman, before you start wagging your finger at the fascist who's stifling free speech, <laughs> um, I should also mention that the United States also banned the film under the Hayes Code, which we will probably need to cover at some point in more depth. Um and it'll probably be in our Red Scare episode. And to be fair, this is also the same point in time that you can't even get a beer in the U.S. Fair. So I'm not surprised that we can't get porn. Yeah. There was nothing fun going on. It's art. It's not porn. Okay, it's art. <laughs> <laughs> it's some really classy porn. You don't get it, Cayman. It's art. Art is just a way to look at porn in public. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get that T-shirt, please? Yes. Art is just a, that. That would be a great T-shirt. That'd be a good T-shirt. Okay, so but anyway, a spokesman from the censorship division of the MPAA named Joseph Breen called the film, "quote, highly, even dangerously indecent." Um, what? End quote. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerously indecent. Think of the children. I'm so hard. It's dangerous. <laughs> Well, there's also evidence that this guy uh, was anti-Semitic and may have been an actual Nazi. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Why? Yeah, you know, it was, uh, there, was, uh, there, were, there, there were some Nazis in America, all right? Oh, there's yeah, just, there were quite a few. It's just a thing that we've got to deal with. Anyway, so it might not have been the way that she wanted it, but with this, Hetty kind of got a newfound fame. Um, and so she turned her life to stage plays. And it was during these plays that she started getting a lot of attention from men that she largely ignored until a man named Fritz Mandel started to kind of court her. Um, Mandel was an incredibly wealthy arms manufacturer. Now, again, I'm going to say arms manufacturer in Vienna in the early 1930s. Suffice it to say, the guy was good friends with some dudes named Benito Mussolini and Adolf Hitler. I think I'm saying that right. It's German. I'm not very good at. Uh, oh. I'm not good at my German. What? Also, I should mention Mandel was Jewish. Hmm. So. Mm, so. Mm, mm, yeah. What? Mm hmm. Yeah. So he's. <laughs> Yeah, sell, selling arms to the Nazis, uh, and he's Jewish, but yeah, it's whatever. Did, did Hitler um, know? <laughs> uh, yes, he did, and so, and we'll get into it later, but, like, Mandel would have these kind of, like, galas where he would, like, bring people in and, like, try, you know, try, he was a salesman, right? He needed to sell his armaments. And behind me, you will see our new cannons. <laughs> would anyone like to test shoot them? Yeah. Well, I think we're past cannons by this point. I don't well, know. I Big mean the, train the, cannons. Yeah, train oh, cannons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like artillery. But anyway, whenever like Hitler would, would be there, he would be like, hey, we can't do any pictures together. Like, that's not going to be good for my image, bro. Um, <laughs> Wait, like Hitler would say that or Mandel yeah. would say that? No, Hitler would. <laughs> no. He would be like, hey, like, we'll buy it. We'll buy the guns and stuff, but like no pictures. See, I'm building a brand. Huh. All right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
nothing against you, but I have to stay on brand. <laughs> also, I'll remind you, uh, uh, Hedy Lamar also Jewish. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Mandel becomes obsessed with Hedy Lamar, and Hedy, uh, kind of goes along with it, right? He's a very wealthy guy, really well connected. Um. So she marries him. Yeah. And I honestly think that part of it was uh, to spite her parents, because remember, she's 18 years old. Like, uh, I should also mention Mandel is 33. Mm. Um, so mm. her parents hated Mandel because he's an arms manufacturer who is selling to the Nazis. Yeah. So they had a good reason to say, like, hey, we don't approve of your new boyfriend. Yeah. Other than him being 33. But anyway, being an 18 year old, she ran off and married him. Yeah. There's almost as much different in age between them as your she is old. There's 15 yeah. year difference. Yeah. She's yeah. That's yeah. That's disgusting. He's he's yeah. It's gross. Uh, believe it or not, a guy who sells weapons to the Nazis, little bit of a creep, little bit of a. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um. Anyway, so Hetty didn't take well to married life, really. Um, Mandel was looking for a trophy wife that he could take to his literal fascist galas where he rubbed elbows with, and I'll say this again, Hitler. Ah. Uh. Yeah, the, the Hitler, the real one. Um, and here's what I don't understand. Uh, Mandel was looking for a trophy wife, but he was also the kind of guy that, like, hated when men would look at his wife. Which doesn't make sense to me. Like, that was kind of the point, wasn't it? Where that's what you use a trophy for. Exactly. It's the entire purpose. Yeah. I actually keep all of my trophies in a locked safe that <laughs> no one can look at. Wow. Um, <laughs> but um, here's the problem, is he also married the woman who just starred in a film where she was completely nude. Um, and he didn't take to that very well. So he started buying up as many prints of the film as he could get his hands on. The problem was the studio was like, man, people are loving this movie. So they started printing more. <laughs> so, like, it got to the point where he was like, this isn't working. I'm not actually helping anything. It was the Streisand effect, if you've ever uh, heard of that. I think he went the wrong direction with it. If you're jealous of everyone seeing your naked wife, you don't go for, like, making everyone unsee your naked wife. Instead, you insert yourself into the narrative as well. I'm talking billboards. Huge billboards all down the interstate showing all your junk. Yep, absolutely. I agree with yeah. that 100%. That's what he should have done. And he's got he's got he's got that sell your soul money, so he can definitely afford it. Well, what I was about to say is if he had done that instead of selling weapons to the Nazis, I could get on board with that. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, how is he going to fund all the billboards? It's got to be selling weapons to the Nazis. Exactly. You, you can't gotta, have one without the other, Michael. OK, well, I'm right. sorry, guys. I can't I can't hop on board with a plan that's funded by the Nazis. I'm, I'm out. Even and if for that reason, <laughs> I'm out. Even if it's dicks on billboards. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, again, there's a controversial opinion, but I will say it again. I really wish you hadn't as a podcast, as an organization <laughs> denounces Nazism. Wow. What you're saying right now here. is I really wish you hadn't as an organization denounces spending Nazi money on dick pics on billboards. Yep. I mean, the, yep. that money's going somewhere, Michael. It, it could go somewhere worse, but dick, dicks on billboards, I feel like, is a 
Granted, I guess technically there's there's some arms No, the money in went there. to weapons, and then you took that part, money. But we don't well, don't worry about the middle part. It's don't, all about skip the that final part. Skip product. the part that mattered. <laughs> so anyway, after his plan to just <laughs> buy up all the all the pictures of his nude wife uh, failed, he did. <laughs> the storybook thing like but actually where he bought a castle and locked her in it mm. oh she was not allowed to leave the castle without supervision and he had all the phones in the castle tapped to where she couldn't like talk to anybody without him knowing um also a little thing called world war Two is ramping up um also hitler not big on the jewish people um right. so she's a little bit concerned uh especially since her husband is part of it so she needs to get out of there also i mean she's kind of she's known by hitler as like a jewish person not only from the fact that her husband's buddies with hitler but also that she was in a movie that hitler was like we're not gonna allow that movie in here because it's filth um so he so yeah. like double doesn't like her yeah like it's just not 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 a good place to be anyway not important to the story. What is important to the story is she needs to get out of, sure. of this situation. So she was able to pick the staff uh, at the castle. So she picked a maid that looked very similar to her. Um, then one day, Hedy Lamar drugged the maid with sleeping pills, uh, put on her maid's outfit, and left through the staff entrance, and then went and bought a ticket to England. Excuse me, what? Yes, so she drugged the maid, disguised herself as the maid, and left. Oh. Okay, okay. So this wasn't also, like, a plot to get Mandel to think that, like, the maid was his wife. No. Like, that wasn't. Oh, okay. I, who knows? He might have showed up and been like, you look different. <laughs> you do something different with your hair? It seriously <laughs> is. It's like a Prince and the Pauper situation. And who knows? Maybe she was into it. Maybe, maybe he married the maid. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look up Mandel after this. I. I probably should have. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say this story's a little goofy. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. It's nuts, right? <laughs> so. Oh, and it gets weirder. So anyway. So you guys have heard of uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, right? The MGM Studios. Uh, yes. Like movie. Okay. They make lots of movies. They make quite a few movies and casinos and and casinos. If you've seen the lion at the beginning of the movie, the yeah, uh, that's rawr. that's MGM. <laughs> um, can, so yeah, can we get that impression one more time, Michael? Uh, <laughs> no. What you're, is the hey? If you're if you're listening, you can just back up the podcast and listen to it rawr. again. Rawr. <laughs> um, okay, so. Could you imagine if the movie started and you saw that majestic lion? It's like just no, it's rawr. my face and it's like, I'm making that. I am making that, and you're putting it on the Instagram. Nice. All right. Well, let's talk about some scummy business practices. That's kind of what we're here for, right? Yeah. I, which is weird. Like, I here's the thing about this story: is I love Hedy Lamar. I hate everybody else in this story. So let's talk about MGM and how scummy they are. Um, so they they see the writing on the wall with World War II. Uh, they see all these Jewish artists like fleeing Germany and like all these uh, uh, occupied lands. Um, and they're like, oh, my God, they're all looking to come to America. We can get them on the cheap. We can be like, hey, we'll pay you nothing and you can come over to America and they'll take it because they don't want to get murdered by Hitler. So basically, uh, Mayer, the 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 co-founder of MGM Studios, is in England taking auditions. Um, and Hedy Lamar 
was able to secure a, an audition with him. And he immediately is like, yeah, absolutely. We'll take you. And we'll, we'll we're even willing to give you $125 a week, which is decent. I mean, it's about, that's about $2,000 a week in today's money to which Hetty said, I know that I'm worth more than that. And she walked out. Now I have to imagine she was just playing the hard to get game where she was just trying to get more money out of him. The issue was Mayer was about to get on a boat and go back to America. So she didn't have a, a second opportunity. So what did she do? She bought a ticket onto the boat. Okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. So she gets on the boat and she spends pretty much all of her time on the top deck in her like bikini. Uh, or I, I say bikini. It was a one piece. I'm pretty sure. Is, I don't think suit. the bikini had been invented yet. Yes. In her bathing suit. And then one night she comes into the dining room with like just the most immaculate gown like done up and like everybody's just like, who is that? Um, and then Mayor Caesar and is like, I've made a huge mistake. So Mayor was so like kind of overwhelmed by her beauty that he offered her $500 a week up from the $125 a week. So, yeah, she got what she wanted. And I wow, mean, that's she's hot. She's a go getter. Yeah, she. she, yeah, she was billed as the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, men mm. loved her. I'm never sure I've actually seen Hedy Lamar. I'm gonna look her I'm up. Gonna, I'm looking up a picture. She's a pretty lady. So they also decided to change her name from Hedwig Keisler to Hedy Lamar um, for a couple different reasons. Uh, Good call. The main one being they kind of wanted to distance her from ecstasy. Um, kind of get that reputation away. And basically, so she starts her career in Hollywood. The issue is she's Austrian. She has an accent. And acting uh, in early Hollywood for a non-American was not a very good gig. Um, she was often cast as, like, the seductress, the uh, the attractive villain. Um, and they... <laughs> basically, there was, like two groups there was americans and then there was foreigners and there there was no real distinction of foreigners um so <clears throat> she would play like uh she played like a half vietnamese person one time oh, okay. even though yeah and then like i i say foreign but like she played a native american in brown face i know that's not foreign but like it's foreign to the you know waspy hollywood of the time well i will say also you have to think at this time like, I might know what a Vietnamese accent sounds like. You might yeah. know what, like, a Indian accent sounds like. This was, like, just as movies were getting started. So, like, literally, you could just throw in anyone with an exotic accent and say, this person's supposed to be from Somalia. And, like, people just had to accept that because they'd never seen, heard, or, like, witnessed a Somalian accent. You know, so I feel like you could get by with... Cayman, I want... I. I just want to I want to put out there that of the two of us, I'm the one that condemns brownface. I condemn brownface. Yes, <laughs> the, the brownface one I have an issue with. Yeah, whatever. I, I'm it's not fine if you're it's fine if you're MGM. cool with it. All right, Cayman, I'm I'm not I'm not arguing Listen, with okay, you. Okay, uh, only one of you two can be the pr the prime minister of Canada, and it's looking like Cayman right now. Hey, mm, no, I would actually point. have to brownface myself to be the prime minister of Canada. <laughs> that's true, and that's I'm true. not willing to go there. That's probably a good call. Okay, so anyway, 
most of the movies that she was in were just kind of cheap trash that was thrown together um, because she was a pretty lady and they needed some stuff to send over to the boys fighting in World War II. And if she was in it, they ate it up. So they were, it, again, she got like bit, uh, not, not even bit parts, but like this was not high quality filmmaking. Like it was just get her on the screen, basically. Like um, Marvel movies. <laughs> <laughs> I would say more like Fast and the Furious movies uh, or the Expendables oh, okay. movies. I would say oh, okay. the Expendables is probably the best. They're like, hey, we got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Put it on the screen. Um, <laughs> it's a bunch of old men fighting each other. They're going to love it. Um, yeah. That was my impression of a Hollywood producer. Hmm. It was pretty good. Kind of. Switching gears a little bit, there's someone that I've wanted to talk about on the show for a while uh, named Howard Hughes. You might have heard oh, of him. Hell yeah. My problem is I could never tell if he was a I really wish you hadn't or if he was an I'm really glad you did. Uh, probably both. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. We're going to talk about him a little bit. I still feel like he deserves more than this. I would call the Spruce Goose and I'm really glad you did, but I'm going to call the entire like last half of Howard Hughes' life. I and I really wish you hadn't. Dude had some problems. Dude was messed up. So that's my thing. I feel like that's where we're at with Hedy Lamar. I feel like I I started this as an I'm really glad you did, but we'll we'll get into it. Okay. If you don't know who Howard Hughes is, um picture uh Tony Stark if he was born in the nineteen thirties. Like literally perfect example because yeah. because Howard Stark Tony Stark's father is modeled after Howard Hughes named after him and if yeah. you saw the first Captain America movie like they made him look just like Howard Hughes like that's who he's supposed to be well Hetty and Howard Hughes kind of had a fling for a minute but really they bonded over their love of invention and so you know Hetty Lamar still had this mind for creating and like um, engineering and all this stuff so Howard Hughes was big in the aviation industry, and he was trying to find a way to make his planes faster. Um, so Hedy Lamar started researching the fastest birds and fish and found that like their wings or fins, whatever it may be, they were all rounded. And so she started designing wings based on the animals that could fly fast. Um, and Howard Hughes loved it, and he he ended up using it, and he wanted to kind of uh encourage her mind to for for invention and that's no small feat that is a massive realization no yeah it's it's incredible like, like she's she is legitimately a great inventor yeah um especially for something that like she didn't really know much about like it was just like it, obvious to her i guess exactly. but no one else in the world like she was like well those birds are faster maybe planes should look like those like yeah well, and, yeah. and at the time, like, wings were squared off. And, like, she was like, no, yeah. no, no, this is wrong. Like, so anyway, Hedy Lamar ended up, like, setting up a workbench in her, like, studio trailer where she would just invent things. Um, and really just for the love of it rather than any real monetary reason. Like, for instance, um, soda was really hard to get out to the soldiers fighting in World War II. So she had this idea for, like, a tablet you could put in water and it would make soda. She, she wanted to invent the soda stream, but put it in a pill basically. Yeah. Which is a thing. Is it really? Yeah. You can get carbonated seltzer. So Colin, you're beating me too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, 
basically the stuff she made tasted terrible. Um, she couldn't get it to taste good. She was like, yeah, basically, basically tasted like a non-medicinal Alka-Seltzer. Yeah. So that, that didn't really work out. I will say since then they've, they, they have perfected that exact idea. Like people who do a uh, home brewing, mm-hmm. um, if you want to like turn around a batch really fast, they do make like carbonation pills. You can drop in the bottle when hmm. you pour the beer in, you know, carbonated wow. drink. Yeah. Neat. So yeah, good job, Hedy Lamar. You just you were a little ahead of your time, actually. Yeah. In so many ways, we'll get into. Um, but really, her biggest invention, one that I think she's really known for, is the frequency hopping sequencer. Uh, so Hedy Lamar was friends with a composer named George Anthill, uh, who was known for creating these synchronized piano performances using the old school punch card technology for like automated pianos. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, they had the so, cards and they, they would yes. like, yeah. it would cycle through them and they would play the song. So basically, whatever it would be. Right. So, but he was famous for taking like six of those and getting all of those in sync to where like you would have like a whole like piano orchestra basically playing one song. I can't imagine how you would do that without Wi-Fi. <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to push play on all of them at the same time. At the same time, yeah. You gotta have six people with really good timing. So she started talking to him about, you know, the technology behind that, and so she started theorizing how the same kind of technology could be used to kind of coordinate uh, signals to where instead of just broadcasting on one frequency, you could broadcast on multiple frequencies so that um, your signal couldn't be intercepted or jammed because, you know, you could intercept one or you could jam one frequency, but, like, if you're operating on multiple, you're not going to be able to do everything. Smart. So, yeah, I mean, she was incredibly brilliant. So, together, Lamar and Ann Hill uh, fleshed out the idea and filed for a patent, which they received. Um, and with their new invention, the two inventors met with Navy officials to offer their tech um, in the war effort. Apparently, this is how you make money. You just invent something and take it to the military. Uh, well, you'd think, but we'll get into it. Oh. Um, un- unfortunately, these were two entertainers trying to pitch military hardware, and one of them was a foreigner and a woman in the 30s. <laughs> um, so, like, I mean, really think about this. Like, imagine, like, Lupita Nyong'o. And John Williams, like, just came out and said, hey, we've we've got quantum computing. Like, we've done it. And it's, you'd just be like, what? Why you? I, no. I'm going to go ahead and take the bullet here. Who is Lupita Nyong'o? She was in uh, what, Us. She was in Us. She was in uh, Black Panther. Us. Oh. Black Panther. Wait, was she the general? No. The... She was what? the love interest. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. About. We all know John yeah, Williams, yeah. though, right? We yeah. all know John Williams. Good. I feel like both of the examples I gave were not like, I feel like a lot of people won't know. John Williams did like the Star Wars theme song. And, and a lot more. And, yeah, and, and, yeah, all of, he all is of a them. brilliant composer. Exactly. But, and, and Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones. It's not important what these people were in. What's important is it's a, it is a foreign woman actress and John Williams is a composer. Imagine if they like came up. No, this is a John Williams episode now. Jaws? Jaws. Yeah, okay, this is John Williams' episode. I'm actually going to need you to change pace, Michael. <laughs> it's crazy that these two entertainers made this technology, is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Right, yeah. Okay, I feel you. 
Um, so the Navy passed on the on the idea, and and at the time they were basically like they didn't understand it. There's a there's a thing I don't know if this is true, but um, the composer Ann Hill basically said that the the Navy looked at him and was like, "You want to put pianos in missiles? I don't get it. <laughs> um, I, I can't believe that happened, but it probably did." Yeah. <laughs> um, but here's here's what sucks is like they passed on the idea and then shortly after the Navy seized the patent classifying it as enemy alien technology because Hetty was from Austria and they thought that she was like a foreign entity. They took her patent. Oh my God. Navy, yes. blow it out your ass. Exactly. Um, what? You can just yeah. take a patent. Well, yeah, I mean, nowadays there would be a huge legal battle and the Navy would probably lose that. But in the 30s, I'm sure it was very. I different. don't know. I feel like if the government now wanted to go toe to toe with a act, a young woman actress refugee, the U.S. government's probably still going to come. Uh, out. Well, she comes out and she pitched the idea to the Navy. I mean, as soon as any any of our courts of law sees that, it's like, no. No. So here's the thing, though, is this is also private military technology like they do end up using it um, in situations like the Cuban Missile Crisis. And hey <laughs> yeah, so basically, like because the you know that all that situation was so intense and like everybody needed to be on the same page, they had to have their battleships communicating with the pilots, but like they needed it very secret so they like pulled out that old patent and they were like oh wait a minute we can use this scramble our our messages so that we can all hear each other but like nobody else can um so they used it in that and then they ended up using it for drones in vietnam like they used this patent so many times but like none of that was reported on so hetty lamar actually didn't even know that her technology was being used until much later conveniently right after the time that she could sue the government for it. Oh, that of sucks. Course. Yeah. Yeah. There was like a statute of limitations. Yeah. It was like right outside of it. Um, so also this technology was used as the basis for Bluetooth and the early versions of Wi-Fi. So, I mean, like this was groundbreaking revolutionary stuff that the U S government just took from this woman. Um, and this is the part where, you know, I feel like we're already starting on it, but this is not a happy story. Like, this is going to get darker, and it's it's really upsetting. It's so crazy, though, at this point. Like, yeah. someone without a formal education, and apparently mm -hmm. that's a theme for this episode, but, like, yeah. someone without a formal education, like, invents the predecessor to Wi-Fi? Yeah. Just in her trailer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild. So... Yeah, it's nuts. College is a scam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, I will say it breeds out all the creativity in you um, and teaches you how to follow instructions. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Y'all are being critical. So it's at this point that Hedy Lamar kind of falls out of the spotlight. Like, you know, she's getting older. This is Hollywood. This is, you know, very superficial. So Hollywood moved on to younger starlets. Um, and Hedy decided to turn her attention to producing, which women didn't do back then um it's not really a career choice for women in the 1950s she starts her own production company um and makes a few movies that don't really succeed um and then she kind of pours everything into this one movie it's a, a movie called the love of three queens and she actually plays all three parts and it's kind of different parts mm. of history 
Um, you know, it's this hugely like expensive production, but she's like, this is the one like this has got to be the one. Uh, but after the movie was done, no U.S. distributor even wanted to to work with it. Like it was apparently kind of a mess of a movie. Um, and this really left Hedy Lamar in a very bad financial position. Um, she was arrested twice for shoplifting and due to being a product of early Hollywood, like they were constantly given their actors uppers to like, keep them going. Um, they were basically churning movies out like a factory. Um, so she had a pretty bad amphetamine addiction. Mm. Um, and Hedy Lamar eventually became a, rec a recluse. Um, the world kind of devalued her intellect and really told her that her only value to the world was in her beauty. So as she was getting older, she really took to plastic surgery. And I mean, as weird as it is to say, like she kind of put her inventive mind towards plastic surgery. She was coming up with new plastic surgeries to get, and she was willing to be like, Hey, like I'm willing to do it. Like I'll, I'll, I, I think this will work. I'll be the test subject. I'll be the, I'll be the guinea pig, basically. So she would do things, and sometimes it would be catastrophic, and then she would come up with ways to, like, fix it. So she went under the knife quite a few times, um, and it got to the point where she just never left her house. And for about six years, she only communicated by telephone. Hedy Lamar wasn't ever recognized for her contribution to the world until 1997, when she was 82 years old. Um, people were finally starting to understand her patent, and she was sho showered with awards and praise. Like, hey, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. We all, we get yeah. it now. We understand Wi-Fi school. Exactly. Oh, we're sorry, but like, too, too little too late, basically. And so um, they were presenting her with this big, like, prestigious award, um, but she was so, like, reclusive by that point. She sent one of her children to accept on her behalf. Um, and she, like, recorded something to play, but, like, it broke her. Like, I mean, she does not end the story in a good place. Weird this also, I, I mean, I know that we're not talking about Howard Hughes yet. And I, now that you mentioned it, that seems like a super fun episode. Yeah. But it, it's weird how it There's seems like he had, he had a bit of an influence on her, and they have, like, kind of the parallel lives, I guess. Yeah, like. they kind of have a trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was supposed to be, and I'm really glad you did. And I thought that this would be a fun story. Like, oh, it's an actress who like invented Wi-Fi. Like I thought, thought it was like, oh yeah, cool. She had like led this double life. That's how I've always heard the story. <laughs> and that's like... how it's told, <laughs> but that's not what happened at all. Yeah. And I, I am really glad that Hedy Lamar did. Um, but man, am I disappointed in the rest of humanity? Like we really dropped the ball on this. And I have to wonder what it would have been like if she had been valued for what she could have contributed, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows what she could have done outside of that? And, you know, she could have developed that technology further. We could have had Wi-Fi in the 1960s, maybe. I don't know. It's possible. Um, Hedy Lamar ended up dying in 2000 due to heart disease, uh, never seeing a penny for the invention that she brought to the world. Um, and her ashes were scattered in the forest near her home in Vienna. Man... Here's my... And that's the end of my bummer story. <laughs> that is a super bummer story. I know. Here's my thing. We got through mine, and I was like, mine's mostly in Britain, and then it started getting into the U.S. I was like, uh, uh. And at the end of it, I was like, you know what? Actually, that no point in my story for once 
do I have to mention that the U.S. is a big asshole? And then you pull out your story. Yep. U.S. It big is asshole. a huge asshole. Big asshole. Yeah. We should just need to stop being assholes <sighs> sometimes. Learning history is just, it's rough. It sucks, right? <laughs> you just find yeah. out how horrible we've treated people. Let's wrap this up, boys. We do have some housekeeping items. Do we? Oh, uh, we do? Yes. I need to give an update on our boy John McAfee. Uh, he was arrested in Spain, and he is currently awaiting extradition to the United States for tax evasion. Oh. So I will say, remember remember to pay your taxes. It's going to be super easy to prove. Wasn't he like... It just he was bragging about it. Yeah, he's about it on a boat along the coast of the U.S. Like I haven't paid taxes in years. <laughs> yeah, they're literally just gonna pull up that video and say, "Uh, th- this one right here, right here." You said, <laughs> um, "Judge, don't this pay your one taxes. right here." Yeah, <laughs> I don't have a haiku, but I do have a listener response. Okay, y'all. Hey man, I love the podcast. If you guys need any help, ideas, perspective from an early 1990s kid, etc., just holler. The fast food episode and Richard Nixon are hilarious. I've had Jack in the Box, and it does make you abuse your toilet so bad it might be considered a hate crime. There you go. (laughs) Who is that from? That comes Uh, from Ben. So thank you, Ben. It's our boy, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah. And also our boy, Les, that we met at a bar. Oh, yeah, dude. Les is the boy. Oh, yeah. I hope hope he's going to listen. Les, I told you I'd give you a (laughs) shout out. So here's your shout out. Oh, you're my boy. Yeah, we had a we had a great uh, socially distanced, relatively uh, time at the bar last week, and it was refreshing. All all the hosts of your favorite podcast got to go out and get yes, uh, very um, and we were together again. Had a, have a good fun time, time adult drink. Fun, fun time, we had a good time. Drink. We threw yeah. axes at things, mostly yeah. wood. I played Galaga. Yeah, yeah. I, the Galaga didn't work. We played Super Smash Brothers. We did. We played Melee. It was, was good. Great. It was good. It was the first time we've hung out in a long time. It's been a long time, yeah. And then we we literally had your wedding last month. I want you to remember that. That's crazy. How slow and yet fast. Okay, it hasn't been that long. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, then, you want me to bring up the exciting news, or are you bringing it up, or I guess the not not exciting news? Oh yeah, you can. I've I've done the rest of the housekeeping. You go for it. Okay, so um. We are, you know, it's it's not that we're unhappy to say, because we are happy to say, we've we've been doing this podcast for a while. And the thing that we kind of said is, you know, do we want to invest a lot of time and effort into this? And we have invested a lot of time and effort. The thing is, uh, now that we've put in 20-some episodes, uh, we don't feel like slowing down at all. So we're actually going to kind of do a restart. And in doing that restart, we're going to take a couple months off and we're going to look at our format. We're going to look at the equipment that we're using. We're actually going to put a little bit more of investment into the podcast. And it does suck that we're going to take a couple months off. Uh, But when we're back on January 6th, hopefully we have a much higher quality show for you to listen to. Um, So we want to let you guys know it is going to be a while until you can hear another episode. Check back with us January 6th um, and we're we're gonna we're gonna really make sure that we've got something good for you when we come back. It's gonna be a killer episode. Yeah. I don't know what it is yet, but it is going to knock your socks right. off. If you don't want to dab while listening to it, we've failed. Right. Wear two pairs of socks <laughs> when you're listening to it. Very important. One of them is coming. And off I track. mean, honestly, at this point, 
if there's anything you want to see us change about the episode, uh, anything at all, uh, shoot us recommendations. Now's yeah, your chance. Yes. This is this yeah. is we're taking chance. time off to re restructure. Give us give us all mm-hmm. the comments we need. Yeah, yeah. In haiku form, we will only <laughs> criticism in haiku form. I mean, haiku. Don't get me wrong. Haiku form is preferred, but if you just have like you know things that you like about the podcast, things that you don't like about the podcast. Any feedback at all is super helpful. You want to replace one of the hosts. I mean, That's we're right. open to anything. Uh, yeah, I mean, get Cayman Sorry, out of here. Michael. Oh, uh, I, I thought agree. it was going to be Michael. <laughs> well, okay. That's fine. My, my point is, you know, any feedback, positive or negative, we really appreciate it. Um, I think you can submit anonymously on our website. Possibly. If you can't, I'll make it so that you can submit anonymously on the right. website. There you go. And also, I mean... It, you know, if you find yourself over the next two months really missing our voices and missing the podcast a lot, just go back and listen to our old episodes again. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're still, still there. there. We're not going to do anything okay. with them. Yeah, the information is required on the I will change that to where uh, name and email address are both optional. There we go. So you can just leave us. You can just leave us a message. Best producer of all time. See, we're already right. making these go. changes we're talking about. Already making improvements. <laughs> it's happening literally as we speak. The changes are occurring. <laughs> Even still, we're learning from our listeners. Well, all right, guys. Well, thanks for showing up. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, Michael. Whoever's listening in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah we've, yeah, we've got quite a few listeners. We really appreciate it. All right, listeners, be sure to follow us on Twitter at IRWH Podcast and on Instagram at I Really Wish You Hadn't. Got any questions or comments? Email us at podcast at I Really Wish You Hadn't.com or go on the website to leave a comment. If you haven't yet, smash that follow button. Please, pretty please, give us some likes, uh, give us some follows, leave us a review, anything that you can do. I, I don't think there is likes. I've just realized that. Like, where would they like us? I think they, they just have to, like, give us five stars. They can like us on the gram. They can like us on the gram. I don't think so. I think they'd have to follow us on the gram. I said you, like, like a post. I said smash the follow button, not the like button. You, yeah, they can like the post on the gram. There's going to be a post this week because it's going to be you meowing to the MGM logo. It's a good point. All right. Anyway, let's 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 wrap this. Yeah, shit let's up. wrap it up. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and Cayman McMahon. We're produced by Colin Moore. Intro music by Attack Story. The music you're hearing now is by Home. Our cover art is by Nicator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, don't pitch anything to the U.S. military. They're just going to steal it. <laughs> and as always, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Uh, yeah, so I forgot to do my after notes because I'm dumb. Yeah, um, you were. So here's, here's my after notes. They better be good. Hedy Lamar dated JFK. That's that's one of my after notes. Who didn't? Is that an after note? Yeah. Did I have to yeah. turn my mic back on for that? No. <laughs> yes, that was it. That was my after note. <laughs> Next after note. Next after note. Uh, both Snow White and Catwoman were designed to look like Hedy Lamar. Well... Well, that, I, I can see that. That makes sense. Yeah. This is like the original, like, uh, this is, well, I mean, like the Adam West Catwoman or like the comic? Catwoman? No, like the comics. The the original, like, comic book character was huh. drawn to be Hedy Lamar. Same with huh. Snow White. She is pretty, so that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. So she was married six different times, um, and I think she got so tired of going to divorce court that one time she sent her, like, 
Hollywood body double to <laughs> divorce court for her. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You would think if you were tired of getting a divorce that you would just stop getting married. You'd think. Yeah. She eventually oh. did. She eventually just stopped marrying people. Uh, well, that's good. After the sixth one. I, I think guess. that's when you're like, eh, probably not for me. Um, <laughs> so we talked about Hedley Lamar from the Mel Brooks movie Blazing Saddles. Um, she actually sued over that. No, saying she that, did. Yeah, she did. She said that it was uh, defamation of her name or something. Um, and Mel Brooks no. took it as an honor, but said that she just didn't get the joke, apparently. <laughs> I mean, obviously she doesn't. Um, now, remember, this was when she was going through financial trouble, so she might have just thought, hey, uh, you know, if yeah. I can get a dollar out of it, why not? That's fair. And lastly, uh, Gal Gadot, I'm sorry, Gal Gadot, which is apparently how you're supposed to say is it. Is going to be playing Hedley Lamar in a movie biopic coming up. I saw it as soon as I looked up pictures of Hedley Lamar. Is, <laughs> it's, it's Hedy Lamar. Had, had he, I've watched Blazing Saddles so many times that I, I think it's Hetty now because I get the joke flipped. Gal Gadot is going to be playing Hetty Lamar in an Apple Plus show that only Colin will watch. Yeah, no one else has Apple Plus. You're not recording. You're not recording. You're not recording. You're not recording, Colin. <laughs> You're not recording. <laughs> so Colin's trying to defend himself from us making fun of... Uh, the Apple Plus or whatever, uh, but, but he, he chose that he not to record. <laughs> yeah, so he can't defend himself. So get right. He can't. I can't hear you. He's screaming. I can't hear you. He's so upset. All right, is that all you? Is, is that? Is that all you had, Colin, Michael? Colin. Colin just said that he doesn't even like Apple. That's crazy <laughs> that he said that. I can't believe. I can't believe you would say. Oh my God, really? Steve Jobs was a legend, Colin. You cannot say that. Oh my God, he did not deserve it. Oh my god! What's that, Colin? You're a part of the Proud Boys. <laughs> Weird. It's like these guys forget who edits the podcast. Apple TV Plus is great, Steve Jobs is a national treasure, and I'm not a member of the Proud Boys. Alright, is that all you had, Michael? That's it. Alright, let's call it a wrap. Bye. Bye. Bye.